Oh, oh, no, Big Bang Theory. A Big Bang Theory? Uh, yeah, the, uh, the Indian guy. Oh, yeah. Rush. Right, and he, so he fell in love with Siri, or Siri, I think it was Siri, right? Siri, yeah. Yeah, and then, then he dressed up his iPhone with little outfits and things. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now the hour of our death. Our Lady's Seat of Wisdom, pray, pray for us. Pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray, pray for us. Pray for us. Through the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Good. Alrighty. Um, so, so we're kind of romping along here, and. Um, you know, we're trying to do the impossible, as I've pointed out. Um, when I was a seminarian, we had, as I recall, we had five courses in, in canon law. Um, seminarians now are down to two courses, which is uh, pretty awful, but it, it, at least it gets some of the basics across. You guys have, this is it, you know, and you're expected to know a lot. So, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of picking and choosing and, and, and just pointing out things that you really need to know, and then we kind of move on. So we. Uh, we cover what you need to cover, and we're very much going to focus on the marriage uh, law when we get to that. Um, so, um, well, I'm, 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 I have So we were. Um, we're in chat. We're in uh, book two, and what I would like to do is we'll have the, uh, the midterm exam when we finish book two. If, that, if that's okay with you guys, All right? You gotta have a midterm exam at some point. It doesn't have to be in the middle of the term. It can be whenever, but we have to have it. So let's see when we get to the end of the class. Let's see how things stand, and we'll figure out what we're gonna do. Um, so we're, we're uh, talking about the hierarchical constitution of the church. Um, these are things that, of course, you'll need to know as, as, as deacons, and um, but most of it you just need a, a sort of a, just a general knowledge. Um, one of the things, of course, that is, that is very much in the um, under consideration these days is the synod of bishops. You know, we have this this whole thing. I, I think it's I think this whole idea of synod has run amok now. And now we have a synod on synodality. You know, we're going to have a synod of bishops on. Yeah, you know, that's like uh, somebody was trying to. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean, it's um, the um, the Holy Father himself, Pope Francis, early in his uh, pontificate, um, criticized um, a certain trends in the in the church, uh, and, and he refer and he said that they kind of lead to a, a self-referential church. You know, and that's that's been the danger in the church, one of the dangers in the church, uh, in a way, since the Second Vatican Council, because we've been undergoing, um, you know, a lot of reform and and a lot of uh, self-examination in the church, and that necessarily means you're kind of looking at yourself, you know, and uh, the result of that, unfortunately, has been that the church appears. I remember I felt this very this way very much when I was um, in college. 
And when I, when I was going through my own crisis of faith, and I, I, you can't really leave the church, but I, you know, man, cool, but I wasn't going to mass or anything, and I didn't know if God existed and all that kind of stuff. And um, God has obviously shown me otherwise. But, <laughs> but, uh, but trying, as it, as it were, to look at the church from a distance, as I was back then, the impression that I had of it, and most people to this day still have of it, uh, most people who are not part of the church, is that it is this very strange organization with very strange beliefs that is totally turned in on itself. And it's, and it's, it's totally preoccupied with, with the, the, these minute details of you know, who's allowed to wear what vestment and who can be called by what title. And it's all, it's all kind of turned in on itself. You know? And we have to be very, um, very careful of having that attitude. All of this, whether it's a synod of bishops or anything else, it's all for the sake always of proclaiming the gospel, right? Um, so we have to be very careful with that. So anyway, Synod of Bishops. Uh, definition, Canon 342. Uh, if you have the green commentary, uh, we're on page 455. Uh, 342, the Synod of Bishops is a group of bishops who have been chosen from different regions of the world and meet together at fixed times to foster closer unity between the Roman pontiff and bishops, to assist the Roman pontiff with their counsel in the preservation and growth of faith and morals, and in the observance and strengthening of ecclesiastical discipline, and to consider questions pertaining to the activity of the church in the world. So this is like anything. Okay, the synod of bishops can discuss anything, but um, but the, the 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 money phrase I think is. Um, that they meet together to foster closer unity between the Roman pontiff and the bishops and to assist the Roman pontiff with their counsel. Okay, with their counsel. That's what the Synod of Bishops does. Uh, you don't have to know details about it. They're chosen from uh, different regions of the world. There are all sorts of rules for uh, choosing the bishops and so forth. Um, but that, that's all they do. They are an advisory body. Uh, it's one of my concerns as we're, uh, we're going through this, whatever the synodality thing is that we're doing, uh, my concern is that people will, will lose um, uh, focus on what uh, all of these bodies are, uh, whether it's a synod of bishops, whether it's a priest council, whether it's a parish council, these are all advisory bodies. They don't decide anything. They advise. They only advise. You know? um, the, um, so number 343 says just that. Uh, it is for the Synod of Bishops to discuss the questions for consideration and express its wishes, but not to resolve them or issue decrees about them, unless in certain cases the Roman Pontiff has endowed it with deliberative power, in which case he ratifies the decisions of the Synod. So basically, it is an advisory body. Right? Um, can 344, uh, you don't have you don't have to know this in detail, but just to show you how, uh, you don't have to know it for a quiz, all right? And, and, and remind you, when I tell you you don't need to know it, mark it so you don't waste your time studying it um, for an exam. But uh, just so you know, for your general knowledge, the Synod of Bishops is directly subject to the authority of the Roman Pontiff, very, very important, right? And he's the one who convokes the Synod uh, when it seems opportune to him, right? It's, 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 uh, it's an advisory body to help the Holy Father. So he convokes it when he thinks it will be helpful for him, right? Uh, he ratifies the elections of members who are elected according to the norm of special law. 
He designates and appoints other members. Uh, he determines uh, before the celebration of the Senate the contents of the questions to be treated according to the norm of special law. He defines the agenda. He presides over the Senate personally or through others. He concludes, transfers, suspends, and dissolves the Senate. Okay, so it's all for him to assist him in, in his office. Okay? But again, you don't need that for a quiz or anything. Um, and again, you don't need this for a quiz either, but just for your general knowledge. The Synod of Bishops can be assembled in a general session. That is one which treats matters that directly pertain to the good of the universal church. Such a session is either ordinary or extraordinary. It can also be assembled in a special session, namely one which considers affairs that directly pertain to a determinate region or regions. And we've had, of course, um, both of these. Right? Um, and then uh, it consists, number 346, you don't need to know this either, but just for your general knowledge, um, it consists of members of whom the greater part are bishops, selected for each session by the Conference of Bishops. According, that's how they're elected, the Conference of Bishops. Others are designated, um, are appointed directly by the Roman Pontiff. Then they add some others, they throw in some others. All right? So all these rules for selecting them, they want to have a, represent, a representation. So the, the heart of it is they're selected, um, uh, they're, they're elected by each, each of the conferences of bishops. So you have a, a worldwide representation. And then there, then others are chosen for uh, using various criteria. Um, all right, we're going to skip the rest of that. Again, you don't need to know that for um, the exam. Um, the, the Roman Pontiff concludes it suspends it, Canon 347. And you don't have to worry about 348 being the secretary of the Senate. So just to give you, the, the basic takeaway is it's an advisory body of bishops. Advisory, they, they don't make decisions, they advise. Cardinals of the Holy Roman Church, um, the, um, <clears throat> all you need to know is Canon 349. Canon 349, which is on page 466. The cardinals of the Holy Roman Church constitute a special college which provides for the election of the Roman Pontiff according to the Roman Special Law. The cardinals assist the Roman Pontiff either collegially when they are convoked to deal with questions of major importance or individually when they help the Roman Pontiff through the various offices they perform, especially in the daily care of the universal church. So what, is the, what does the College of Cardinals do? They elect the Pope. I mean, that's basically what the, the College of Cardinals is for. Um, but they also assist the Holy Father, right? um, either collegially together when they might meet together for a particular purpose, or um, or individually. I mean, they're supposed to be the Pope's closest advisors. Uh, and you, you, what 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 is the origin of the, the whole notion of a cardinal? Does anybody know the College of Cardinals? What, what was it originally? Think, think in terms of the fact that they, their main function is to elect the Holy Father, and think of how they used to elect uh, bishops sometimes in the Middle Ages. They basically are the descendants of the clergy of Rome. You know, and that's what they, it's sort of a legal fiction. The, 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 the cardinals are really the clergy of Rome. You know? Now obviously the clergy of Rome are not electing the Pope, but, um, but it goes back to the days when the, when the Bishop of Rome was elected by, by the clergy. Uh, and that's why you have, and we'll see in the next canon, uh, you have uh, cardinals uh, divided into three orders. Um, we'll look at it right now, canon 350. 
Again, you don't, you, all you need to know is Canon 349. Right? You don't need to know Canon 350, but it's just very interesting. Uh, the College of Cardinals is divided into three orders, as any uh, clergy would be in any diocese. So the Episcopal order, um, the Presbyteral order, and the Diaconal order. You know? So they're all bishops nowadays. Uh, all the cardinals are bishops. Uh, it used to be you didn't have to um, even be a priest technically to be a cardinal, but um, uh, and very often somebody was not a bishop. But now all the cardinals, I believe, are bishops, or they're supposed to be. And but they're they're given titles of cardinal, uh, cardinal um, uh, bishop, cardinal uh, cardinal priest, or cardinal deacon. Okay. And again, it's preserving that legal fiction that they are the, they are the descendants of the clergy of Rome. And, and that's why they elect the Holy Father. Right. Um, uh, okay. Um, all right. So you know, I mean, it's it's interesting reading Canon 350, but you do not need to know that for a, a quiz or anything. Um, and the same with Canon 351. Again, all you need to know is Canon 349, but um, Canon 351 is just is just int interesting. Okay. Um, the Roman Pontiff. Freely selects men to be promoted as cardinals, um, and, uh, and this this canon still has the old rule. They have been ordained at least into the orders of the presbyterate, but the but the practice, and I think even the rule now is, you have to be a bishop to be a, a cardinal. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, they're 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 created by a decree of the Roman Pontiff, which is made public in the presence of the College of Cardinals. Um, and sometimes, and you've, you've probably heard of this as well, sometimes when the, um, uh, the, the Roman Pontiff has, um, has chosen someone to be a cardinal, he might, he might keep that choice in pectore, number three, Canon 351, number three. In pectore, um, pectore. Um, uh, he, he keeps it, he keeps it uh, a secret. Um, and that's, that's happened with, uh, you know, cardinals who are um, appointed in, in, you know, totalitarian regimes and things like that. You know? um, okay. All right, you don't have to worry about, you, you might be interested in reading this. Uh, it'll come up, I don't know, uh, the doctors among us might know better than I, uh, if you have a crystal ball, Cat 352, when the next consistory will be to elect a Holy Father. Uh, but you might want to look at this stuff now, not for a quiz, but just for your own information. So when your parishioners are asking you, well, what are they doing now? How have they left the Holy Father? You can, you can say, well, Canon 352 and, and 353 um, uh, show, show how that's done. Okay. Um, um, all right, we're, we're going to just skip all of these now. Uh, so uh, again, just, just 349 is all you need to know. You can skip the rest about cardinals. So we're skipping um, all the way um, to, uh, to 359, but we will, let, but let's include 359 to know. All right, 349 and 359. Uh, when, the, when the apostolic see is vacant, the College of Cardinals possesses only that power in the church which, which is attributed to it in special law. All right. Uh, when when you have stated the content, when when, when uh, there's no Holy Father, Holy Father has died, um, then the, the cardinals are kind of running things, but only up to a point. Okay, um, and the, they have special rules for what they're allowed to do. Okay. Now the Roman Curia 
We need to know this, uh, at least in general terms. Canon 360, the Supreme Pontiff usually conducts the affairs of the Universal Church through the Roman Curia, which performs its function in his name and by his authority for the good and service of the churches. The Roman Curia consists of the Secretary of State with the Papal Secretariat, the Council of the Public Affairs of the Church, congregations, tribunals, and other institutes. The Constitution and competence of all these are defined in special law. Um, and in this code, the term apostolic see or holy see refers not only to the Roman pontiff, but also to all these dicasteries, the Secretary of State, the Council of the Public Affairs of the Church, other institutes of the Roman Curia, unless it is otherwise apparent from the nature of the matter or the context of the words. So what this is saying, this is all you need to know here, um, uh, but, but you need to know this, uh, it's the, the Holy Father, tuus Petrus, super hanc petrum into the cabo ecclesia mea, you are Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. Uh, it is Peter, it is the successor of Peter, it is the Holy Father who is acting. But my God, you know, how many, what, we have over a billion people in the, in the church? I mean, you know, one guy can't do this by himself, he needs a lot of help. So we have the Roman Curia, all the offices of the, uh, uh, that assist the Holy Father. And, um, and the Holy Father usually conducts his affairs, uh, the affairs of the universal church through the Roman Curia, right? And they act in his name functions in his name and by his authority for the good and service of the churches. So you need to know uh, Canon uh, can 360. And then um, the second part of Canon 360, uh, the Roman Curia consists of basically the dicasteries of the Roman Curia, you know, all the offices of the, of the Roman Curia. Uh, Secretary of State, the um, uh, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the, uh, the um, all of the tribunals and, and, and all of the offices of the uh, Roman Curia, they all act in the name of the Holy Father. They don't act separately from him. But Canon 361 um, makes a distinction uh, when, it, when it says uh, apostolic see or holy see. So on the one hand, you have uh, the, the, the code, of, a canon might refer to the Supreme Pontiff, it might refer to the Holy Father. When it says the Holy Father, it means the Holy Father. But when it says Apostolic See or Holy See, that means the Vatican, okay? That means all these offices acting uh, for the Holy Father, okay? There's a, there's, there's a distinction, okay? Um, so, so be aware of that. Uh, it's, it's, in a way, it's analogous to uh, what we saw earlier when the, when the um, when canon law uh, says ordinary, it, it means it's that's a wider term. It means anybody who who has that that kind of power it could be a vicar general, whoever it is. Uh, it could also be the diocesan bishop. It could be all these other people as well. But when it says the diocesan bishop, then the code means just the diocesan bishop. It doesn't mean any ordinary, just that ordinary, the diocesan bishop. It's similar in a way. Uh, with, the, with the Holy Father in the code. When it says the Pope, the Holy Father, it means the Holy Father. Him, just him, the one God. Uh, but if it says the Apostolic See or the Holy See, it means the Vatican, okay? The, the extension of the Holy Father. And um, I mean, it's, it's all fascinating stuff. You know, there, there's a great uh, history of the Curia in our uh, the Green Commentary and all that. You don't have to read it, but it's, uh, you know, you have the time you might be interested. Um, but we go on, unfortunately.
Um, we'll skip um, canons 362 to 367, the legates of the Roman pontiff. Just skip all that. This, this is uh, it's kind of a crazy course that way. So, so much for the Pope. Moving on. So <laughs> that's the way we have to treat it, you know. So now we get into particular churches and their groupings. Particular churches are basically um, dioceses and things like that. Okay, so now this is a long section. Particular churches and their groupings. Um, and we get to Title I, particular churches and the authority established in them. So we'll, uh, this is getting closer to home now. Um, canon 368 is a very important canon uh, that is uh, very theological in nature and you could have a whole course in ecclesiology based on this canon. Uh, canon 368, particular churches in which and from which the one and only Catholic church exists are first of all dioceses. To which, unless it is otherwise evident, you don't need to know this part, are likely a territorial prelature, a territorial abbacy, an apostolic vicar, an apostolic prefecture, apostolic administration, record of stable don't, You don't need to know the rest of that. Just know dioceses and things like dioceses. Okay? Uh, you know, Some place where the church is just beginning to be formed and so forth, it's not ready to be a full fledged diocese. You might have uh, a territorial prelature or something like that. You know? But, yes. What does it mean knowing the diocese and just things like diocese for, you know, exams or what have you? How do we, how do we study that? Because well, yeah, well, what I'm what I basically what I'm saying here is, for our purposes in Canon 368, you just have to know a diocese. All right. So, so you would ask a question, we just say it's a diocese. Yeah. I, yeah. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't expect you to know. What is a territorial apathy, an apostolic vicariate? We can't get it. You don't need to know that. You know? If you're going to do missionary work, uh, you know, we can talk about it. Okay, yeah, right. All right. Thank you. For our, purposes, for our purposes, just know there are other things like dioceses. That's all you need to know. Just there are other things like dioceses. They're not full-fledged dioceses that might one day become dioceses. They're typically in missionary areas and so forth. Um, or, or in, in uh, you know, maybe a communist country or something like that where they can't really come out in the open and all that. Um, you can just be, have that in, you, in, your back, in the background. But for us here, you guys as uh, uh, future deacons and people working in parishes and so forth, um, particular ch the particular church is a diocese. Okay? So the particular church in which we're situated right now is the Archdiocese of New York. And, or the, the Diocese of, of Bridgeport, whatever it might be, Diocese of Brooklyn. So, um, so particular churches, so think diocese basically, okay? Particular churches, this is the important part, in which and from which the one and only Catholic Church exists, or first of all, diocese. This is a fascinating um, uh, statement, that, 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 that it's, it's a theological statement. What is the Catholic Church? You know, a lot of us tend to think of the Catholic Church as uh, this big global organization that's just divided into geographical areas called dioceses, and that's it. Right? So we're we're a section of the of the Catholic Church uh, here in New York or in, or in Bridgeport or wherever it might be. Um, that's that's not it. That's not it. Um, the, the, the 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 
Catholic Church exists right here in the diocese, okay, in Bridgeport. Bishop, when Bishop Caggiano is there with his priests and his deacons, there is the church. There is the Catholic Church, okay? Um, it's, uh, that's how the church operates. So the church is here, fully right here, because we have, a, we have a, a bishop of the diocese and all the rest. That's what makes the church. And the Catholic Church um, it, it exists uh, in and from all of these particular churches, okay? So, uh, so a particular church of diocese is not like a division of the, of the universal church. The universal church is, is there, is right there. And, in all, and, and the, the, so the Catholic church itself exists from these dioceses. The dioceses are, are what make the church the church. Is that clear as mud? <laughs> it's it's it, that that's something uh, that's it's it's really uh, we can't get into it here because uh, this is not a course in ecclesiology, but that's what ecclesiology is all about. It's a fascinating um, notion that the Catholic Church. If you want to see the Catholic Church? Cardinal Dolan was here last week um, with with priests and deacons. The church is right here. You know, um, it's it's a fascinating um, concept. So, uh, Father, is that the same thing as when you have combined? What do you call the combination of all those churches? Combination. The church. Of well, if you have a church here and then you have a church over there, combined is still called the church, right? Well, yeah, you put it all together, you still have the Catholic Church. See, that, that's the mystery of the church. At the one and the same time, the Catholic Church exists right here because Cardinal Dolan is here, priests, deacons are here, so here's the church right here. But at the same time, the universal church. As, as this Ken says, uh, exists um, out of and in these dioceses. So, um, so it's not it's not like the Catholic, you have the Catholic Church out there, and here we are, one branch of it. But he, here is the Catholic Church, and and there in Bridgeport, and there in Brooklyn, there is the Catholic Church, and and that's what the Universal Catholic Church cons, uh, consists of. Uh, that's how it comes into being. It comes into being through these dioceses, right? In okay. and through Thank these you. dioceses. Yeah. I know it's it's. You know we can't get into the detail. Again, I'm not going to ask you uh, that on a quiz, but it's it's a fascinating theological notion that so the Second Vatican Council underscored that uh, to get away from the notion that um, uh, a bishop is a branch manager. No, the bishop. Uh, I, I had a canon law professor. Um, at, at Catholic University. As a matter of fact, I think it was uh, um, Bob Kennedy, who was, who was one of my predecessors here before I came here. He taught canon law here. And, um, and he said, in your diocese, the bishop is the vicar of Christ because the church exists in your diocese. Anyway, we can't get into that in any more detail. So as long as you have a bishop, priest, and deacon, it's the church. church. Catholic church is there. So, all right, so you need to know Canon 368, just that first part. You don't have to worry about these other things like diocese, but just that first, those first three lines there. Then you need to know Canon 369. <clears throat> canon 369 is very important. It defines a diocese. So a diocese is a portion of the people of God which is entrusted to a bishop for him to shepherd with the cooperation of the presbyterate 
so that adhering to its pastor and gathered by him in the Holy Spirit through the gospel and the Eucharist, it constitutes a particular church in which the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of Christ is truly present and operative. Okay, this is kind of saying the same thing in other words. Um, so it does, it does acknowledge it's a portion of the people of God, right, the beginning of this canon. It's a portion of the people of God. Um, but, it, it does, but it goes on to say it constitutes a particular church in which the, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of Christ is truly present and operative. So again, it's that mystery of the universal church existing in and, um, and from uh, the, the particular churches. So it's a portion of the people of God entrusted to a bishop for him to shepherd with the cooperation of the presbyter. We could add, I don't know why they would put it in the diaconate. I guess that's kind of understood. I have so, a question. Yeah, let me just finish this and then you can ask a question. Okay. So that adhering to its pastor and gathered by him in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is what's going on. Gathered by him in the Holy Spirit through the gospel of the Eucharist, it constitutes a particular church. Yes. The Lumen Gentium says, the church of Jesus Christ subsists in the ah, Catholic world. Subsists in. So, so does the bishop in the diocese have a portion of that subsistence of the Catholic church in his diocese? Yes. It's spread over all the, the universal church. Um, yeah, basically. Yeah, basically said. The word subs I think you're gonna ask me about the word subsists. Yeah. Because well, that subsists is problematic. Why do they say subsists and not just say exists? And that again, that's of course in ecclesiology, you know, because it's um, it's acknowledging uh, that's uh, that's an earlier canon that we saw last week. It's acknowledging the fact that elements of the Catholic Church exist elsewhere. Right. So the fullness of the Catholic Church is, is uh, of the Church of Christ is uh, subsists in the Catholic Church, but there are elements of it that are found elsewhere. So, um, but the um, so so the basic question you're asking is what? And the bishop then is the subsistor <laughs> of where it subsists. Is that correct? Yeah, you can you can put it that way. Yeah, the Catholic because um, the the Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church. And the church is found in the diocese, diocese. right? And the, and the bishop is the vicar of Christ. In, in his own diocese, yeah, in his own diocese. Yeah. So therefore, the the church subsists in the vicar of Christ, the bishop in that diocese. Well, it's a uh, it, well. The word subsist is taken from a long Yeah, it's referring to the church itself. Yeah. Right. So um, the, where does the church subsist? And then the, the Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church, right? right? And the Catholic Church um, exists, is present in a diocese. So therefore, it subsists in that diocese in that sense. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And okay. Okay. Good. I'm glad I'm not smart. Pardon? I said I'm glad I'm not that smart. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's why. Uh, in God, God's mercy, I only had to study canon law. If I could study theology, I'd be sitting up there going, what? <laughs> so, all right, so that's 369. These other things we can skip. So you can skip. Uh, Father, yeah. you, you said we need to know 369. I, I honestly don't. You're saying that diocese, the bishop, and his clergy in that little subsystem creates a church. 
Is that what that, I mean? Not a the, church. The church. The church. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're you know what that means is that as a subset of diocese, the bishop, clergy, and the people, they create, a, they are the part, they are the church in total, even though they're just a subsistence of the whole Catholic. Yeah, it's one way of putting it. Yeah. The, yeah, the Catholic Church exists right here in the Archdiocese of New York. You know? But the Universal Catholic Church exists in the Universal Catholic Church exists right here. The Archdiocese of New York exists right there. The Diocese of Bridgeport, the Diocese of Bridgeport, <coughs> exists right there, the Universal Church. And it, um, it 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 comes into being in that diocese. That's where, where the, the, the reality of the church uh, happens in that diocese. I mean, if, if this is puzzling, good. It means you're thinking about it. <laughs> so, all right. You know, we, you know, don't, don't worry about. I mean, don't think about this in terms of exams. You know, just, just need just what the canon itself says, right? The diocese is a portion of the people of God. Obviously, it's a geographical um, section. It's entrusted to a bishop, for him to shepherd, cooperation with the presbyterate, so that adhering to his pastor, gathered by him in the Holy Spirit, the gospel of the Eucharist. It constitutes a particular church, right? In which the one holy Catholic Apostolic Church of Christ is truly present and operative. Okay. All right. Um, can, you can skip Canon uh, 370 and all these things. Uh, uh, skip Canon 370, Canon 370, and 371. Okay. Um, Canon 372 is a very simple uh, distinction. Uh, after after the, the, this complicated theology, this is something that's easy to understand. Um, you, you have a, um, a territorial uh, diocese or a non-territorial diocese, basically. So 372, as a rule, a portion of the people of God which constitutes a diocese or other particular church is limited to a definite territory, so it includes all the faithful living in the territory. So everybody living in Brooklyn belongs to the Diocese of Brooklyn, right? Nevertheless, where in the judgment of the supreme authority of the church it seems advantageous after the Council of Bishops' concern have been heard, particular churches distinguished by the right of the faithful or some other similar reason can be erected in the same territory. So you have, um, uh, you can have a, a, a personal diocese. Um, we all belong to a geographical diocese, but you could have a personal diocese, right? Um, it could be, um, it, I don't want to get into this in too much detail because I'm, I'm, I'm out of my depth, but um, for um, an Eastern Rite, um, Eastern Rite Church, um, you, you could belong to that. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty clear. There are Eastern Rite churches uh, whose ge ge geography uh, includes, in the United States typically, it would include the geography of, of many uh, Western dioceses, right? So you have you have Catholics uh, ex who are in the same place who belong to two different dioceses. Right? Um, that that's one distinction uh, by right. Okay, that if somebody belongs to uh, you know Ruthenian right that extends over several states or whatever. I forget how, long, how far it goes. Um, they happen to be living in New York, but they belong to a different diocese. Right? You can also have a personal diocese. Uh, we, we have this, uh, we're all very familiar with this in the United States, the um, military archdiocese. 
right? It doesn't have a particular geography. You belong to it because you belong to the military, okay? So the distinction between a territorial diocese and a personal diocese, that's all, that's all this is, right? That should be fairly clear, Canon 372, right? Um, okay, uh, you can skip Canon 373. Basically, it says only the Pope can erect a particular church. Duh. Okay, that's pretty obvious. Um, Canon 374, this is something that should make us all feel a little uh, more at home. Every diocese or other particular church is to be divided in, into distinct parts or parishes. Okay, we, know, we all know that, right? So every diocese is divided into parishes. Um, and also we're familiar with number two, to foster pastoral care through common action, several neighboring parishes can be joined into special groups such as vicariates foreign. That has different uh, uh, names in different places, but we're all familiar with the notion of, of, of vicariate, right? Uh, we're in the vicariate now. It was Southern Westchester. I think they're, they're reconfiguring, but this was the vicariate of Southern Westchester. But Is that the same as a deanery or no? Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let them explain. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, it's, get, it's, getting, it's getting very, very confusing. And nobody quite knows what, what this is all about. You know? so, uh, so, uh, um, so typically we use the term vicariate, at least in, in this area, uh, to describe um, a grouping of several parishes within the diocese, right? So this is, this is familiar territory to us, right? Canon 374. Okay, bishops. We just need to know a little bit about, about this. Um, so we're on, uh, we're, this is now chapter two of this section. And um, you need to know Canon 375. You need to know Canon 375 and 376. So Canon 375, it's saying first of all, this is divine law. Bishops who by divine institution succeed to the place of the apostles through the Holy Spirit who has been given to them, are constituted pastors in the church so that they are teachers of doctrine, priests of sacred worship, and ministers of governance. Um, typically, when um, canon law is referring to pastors, even Vatican documents, unless they say otherwise, when they're talking about the pastors of the church, Usually they mean the bishops, you know. Um, there's a separate word in, in the Code of Canon Law for a pastor of a parish. He's a, he's a parochus, all right? Uh, but a pastor in Latin is typically a bishop, all right? So they're constituted pastors in the church, right? And what does being a pastor mean? It's a, the threefold um, munis, the threefold gift they are given. Teach, sanctify, and govern and rule. Okay, those are the three munera, the three or the three aspects of the one munis uh, gift. So they are teachers, sanctifiers, and ministers of governance. They are governors or rulers. Okay. Um, through and how do they get these different uh, aspects of their the office of pastor? These three uh, different aspects of the munis or the three different munera. Through Episcopal consecration itself, bishops receive with the function of sanctifying also the functions of teaching and governing. Okay? So once he, he's um, ordained, uh, consecrated a bishop, he receives the function of sanctifying the functions of teaching and governing. 
By their nature, however, these can only be exercised in hierarchical communion with the head and members of the college. Okay? Um, obviously, a, a bishop can't go off uh, and, and teach his own, you know, his, his own new doctrine. You know? It has to be in communion with the head and members of, of the college. A bishop typically can't go into another bishop's diocese without the, other, the, the second bishop uh, giving him permission and uh, you know, doing confirmations and ordaining all the rest. You know, so he has to be in hierarchical communion. Uh, he, has, he has to be uh, working according to the rules with the other bishops. Okay? But those three aspects of that the, the one office, teaching, sanctifying, and ruling, governing. Yeah. If a bishop, if a couple came to a bishop and wanted them to witness their marriage, and it was not in his diocese, does he need permission from oh, that? Oh, sure. To go somewhere else, he needs permission, sure. Okay. But but not in his own diocese, he doesn't. Right, not in his own, but it's in another one, he would have to. Yeah, if, he, if they want him to to go to St. Gunagunda's church in his, in his diocese, uh, he can just show up and say to the pastor, I'm doing a wedding here. You got a problem with that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't do that. He would call right. up and say, is it okay? You know, but, but technically he could just, he could just go in and do he it. He go and do it. Yeah. So, all right. Um, Cat 376, uh, basic distinction. Bishops to whom the care of some diocese is entrusted are called diocesan. Others are called titular. All right. So, uh, the, um, all of the auxiliary bishops, you know, are, are titular bishops, uh, bishops who uh, who do uh, some other work, the work uh, the Vatican say, or something else. They're all titular bishops. Titular means they have a title to a. Um, uh, to, it, it's not a fake diocese, but it's a defunct diocese usually. They, they, uh, all, all of these bishops you see running around, like uh, uh, Bishop Massey, he's not running around. You know what I mean, Bishop Massa. He's not the bishop of a diocese. He's an auxiliary bishop for Brooklyn. He's a titular bishop of, I don't know what diocese, some defunct diocese somewhere. You know, that's the legal fiction they give them. So every bishop has that title, titular. is a title to some diocese, whether it's a real functioning diocese or a defunct diocese. Right? Um, okay. um, appointment of bishops, we're not going to get into that. Um, you can read it on your own because uh, it's it's going it just happened in Brooklyn, um, and uh, well, who knows who knows what will happen in the archdiocese. I mean, Cardinal Dole is in pretty good shape. He just lost a lot of weight, you see. <laughs> so mm -hmm. he's he's looking he's looking younger than he has for a while. He's looking good. And so, uh, um, but there's a whole there's a whole process that you, uh, that they go through. Um, uh, and it's a lot of consultation. You might, on your own, you might just want to read Canon 377, not for a quiz, not for an exam, but just for your own information. It could happen that, that someday you will get um, a highly confidential envelope, uh, this is where they do it now, um, from the, the nunciature in Washington. You know, um, if you're somebody who's known in your diocese as a person of, of, of wisdom, um, you, you, you might get <laughs> someone <at Not> me. <laughs> you might get a, um, an envelope from uh, from the the, uh, the nunciature in Washington and it'll say highly confidential uh, you're under the papal secret from the moment you open that envelope you know uh, and they will ask you about somebody and you might be surprised to read the name they'll ask they'll ask you about somebody uh, who is being considered for the office of bishop 
And they'll tell you this is all under the paper secret. The penalty for violating the secret is, you know, you're, you're shot to death or whatever, you know. It's, uh, you know, they, they really, they really, you know, kind of hammer like it. Kind of seal the confessional. It's not quite like that, but it's the next, next thing step. to it. Next thing to it. A papal secret is very, very secret. So we know? can't tell our wives. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's important because they want to know, you know. This is, uh, especially in this day and age, they want to know. So so-and-so is being considered for a bishop. Suppose you know that there was a funny thing that he did with some young person back when, and nobody else knows that. That's your opportunity to tell them, hey, you know, whatever, you know. So, um, uh, so those things are very important if you get them. But, but follow the instructions exactly, and then you have to like uh, destroy everything when you're finished with it. You know? um, and you can't ever say a word about it. Um, but it's a, um, if they read those things, it's, 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 and I think they do, and I think they take them very seriously. It's good to know that. I mean, they, they're really looking out for the good of the church. You know? So, uh, but it's a whole long process, and we don't have time to get into it, unfortunately. Um, qualifications to be a bishop, we're going to skip all that, unfortunately. Um, so you can skip 377, skip 378. Um, you don't have to know 379, but just, just know, because this is coming up in Brooklyn right now, uh, unless he is prevented by a legitimate impediment, whoever has been promoted to the Episcopacy, well, he's not promoted, I'm sorry. He's already a bishop. Whoever has been promoted to the Episcopacy must receive Episcopal consecration within three months to receive the apostolic letter. I'm sorry, this is not about a new bishop in Brooklyn. This is about somebody being consecrated as a bishop. Um, he's he's got a... a got to get his you know what in gear and get himself consecrated a bishop once he's been appointed a bishop um, but you don't need to know that um, all these things are interesting um, they, they come up uh, they'll come up in the lifetime of all of us can uh, I'm sure can 380 he must take the uh, oath of fidelity the apostolic seed and so forth profession of faith all that uh, but you don't need to know that just uh, for a quiz but you need to know that for life you know um, all right, so we get to diocesan bishops now. This is important. Canon 381, uh, you need to know. So a diocesan bishop in the diocese entrusted to him has, has all ordinary, proper, and immediate power which is required for the exercise of his pastoral function except for cases which the law or decree of the Supreme Pontiff reserves to the Supreme Authority or to another ecclesiastical authority. Um, <coughs> <clears throat> Don't worry about number two, just canon 381, number one. So the diocesan bishop, not an ordinary, but diocesan bishop, uh, he has all ordinary, proper, and immediate power which is required for the exercise of his pastoral function. All right, so what does ordinary mean again? Ordinary power? Um. Right, it belongs to him by means of the office. It doesn't have to be delegated by anybody else, right? He has the office, he has the power, ordinary power. Proper power, again, it belongs to him, uh, to him in particular, right? And immediate power, I just use an example. Father, I'm here today to do a wedding, you got a problem with that? Too bad. Recant 381, okay? Um, he has immediate power, so uh, he has immediate power over all uh, the subject, his subjects in your, uh, in your parish. You know, he can go over the head of your pastor. He, he can go deal directly with the people in his diocese. Okay? It's immediate power. Okay? Is that clear? 
Everybody got it? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Ordinary property, immediate power. Um, but there's some things that are reserved to the Holy See that, that we will see um, uh, in due course. Okay. Right. So can, can a 381 is important. Um, can a 382 is, uh, you, you don't have to know for a quiz, but, but you're going to be living it. Um, and uh, in, in, you're living it right now in Brooklyn, right? Um, so it, it talks about taking possession of the diocese. Right? Um, so he, um, he cannot assume the exercise of the office entrusted to him before he's taking canonical possession of the diocese. Um, so, um, and number two says he, he, must, um, he must take canonical possession of his diocese within four months of receiving the apostolic letter. Right, so, uh, so Bishop Marzio is, is within that time frame. Um, and you will see this when he is installed, number three, a bishop takes canonical possession of the diocese when he personally or through a proxy is shown the apostolic letter in the same diocese to the College of Consultors in the presence of the Chancellor of the Curia who records the event. That's simply what happens in the installation of a bishop. You'll have um, the College of Consultors there. We'll get to what College of Consultors is uh, later. The College of Consultors will be there maybe in the sanctuary um, and the Chancellor is going to be there. And the big moment is when the bishop shows the letter <laughs> to the uh, to the um, to the chancellor. And I remember when uh, Cardinal, I think it was Cardinal O'Connor. Um, I remember watching it on TV. Uh, it's it either Cardinal O'Connor or Cardinal Egan. I forget who came. But um, they they had they had all the consultants in in the um, in the sanctuary, and and you're watching this on TV, and then you see the letter. And then the chancellor takes the letter. Here's the letter. Here's the letter. And he goes, and he goes over and, and to the to the uh, to the seal, you know, and puts the seal of the archdiocese on it. You know, that's the big moment. That's that's when the bishop takes possession, all right. Um, and and it says uh, in newly erected. Uh, never mind newly erected diocese. Okay. Um, and number four, it is strongly recommended that the taking of canonical possession be done within the liturgical act in the cathedral church where the clergy and people gather together. So we will see that. Uh, November 30th, right, in Brooklyn. But again, you don't need to know that for an exam. Uh, but read it before, before you go to his installation. Okay, uh, Canon 383, um, you need to, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, let's, let's go over this just in a general sense, just to give you a, a, a sense of what a bishop is required to, to do. Uh, Canon 383, in exercising the function of a pastor, a diocesan bishop is to show himself, uh, we're just going to read through this quickly to, to show you why there's a vocation crisis among bishops and why they can't get guys to, uh, to agree to be, to be bishops now. In exercising the function of a pastor, a diocesan bishop is to show himself concerned for all the Christian faithful entrusted with care of whatever age, condition, nationality they are, whether living in the territory, staying there temporarily, is also to extend an apostolic spirit to those who are not able to make sufficient use of ordinary pastoral care because of the condition of their life and to those who no longer practice their religion. If he has faithful to different right in his diocese, he is to provide for their spiritual needs. Um, number three, he is act, to act with humanity and charity toward the brothers and sisters who are not in full communion with the Catholic Church, plus their ecumenism. He is to consider the non-baptized as committed to him in the Lord. So there, sh so there shines in them the sh charity of Christ, whose witness the bishop must be before all people. 
Um, so he's got a lot of work to do, all right? Uh, you don't need to know that uh, for a quiz, but just to give you a flavor of what he, he has to uh, go through. Um, with special solicitude, Canon 384, a diocesan bishop is intent to presbyters and listen to them as assistants and uh, counselors. He is to protect their rights and take care that they correctly fulfill the obligations proper to their state, and that the means and institutions which they need to foster spiritual and intellectual life are available to them. He is also to take care that provisions made for their decent support and social assistance according to the norm of law. So he is to be a father to his priests and basically deacons as well. You know? So again, you don't need to know that for an exam, but just to know that for life. Right? Um, number 385 is to foster vocations. You don't need to know that for an exam. Um, and then, then it goes on, the bishop was teacher. Again, you don't need to know this for an exam, but, but look at look at all that's here. A diocesan bishop frequently preaching in, frequently preaching in person is bound, is bound, required to propose and explain to the faithful the truths of the faith, which are to be believed and applied to morals. He, he is also to take care of the prescripts of the canons of the ministry of the word, especially those in the homily, catechetical instructions are carefully observed. Um, so the whole Christian doctrine is handed on to all. Uh, he, he is firmly to protect the integrity and unity of the faith to be believed, etc. So that's him as teacher, then as sanctifier. And um, again, we, we can't get this in any detail. You don't need to know it for an exam, but just to show you how what a tough job he has. Um, he's mindful of his obligation to show an example of holiness and charity, humility, and simplicity of life. He should strive to promote in every way the holiness of the Christian faithful. Um, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on and on. Then um, uh, you can skip Canon. You don't really need to know Canon 386 or 387. Just pointing it out to you. You don't need to know Canon 388. Uh, you don't need to know 389. It just says that he is to pres pre preside frequently at the celebration of the Holy Eucharist. Right? Um, uh, don't worry about 390. Um, 391, you need to know. 391, you need to know. It is for the diocesan bishop to govern the particular church entrusted to him with legislative, executive, and judicial power according to the norm of law. The bishop exercises legislative power himself. Okay? No one else in the diocese has legislative power, just the bishop. He exercises executive power either personally or through vicars general or episcopal vicars according to the norm of law. All right? Those are the ones who have executive power. He exercises judicial power either personally or through the judicial vicar and judges according to the norm of law. Okay? So the three uh, aspects of, of, uh, of government, uh, legislative, executive, and judicial power, he alone has the legislative power. Um, he, he alone has, he, he has all three, but he alone has, has uh, legislative power. He exercises the other powers he can if he wants, either himself or through others, the executive power and the judicial power. Okay. So that, that canon is important to know. You need to know canon 391. Um, canon 392, um, and again in general, he is to protect the unity of the universal church. Uh, he's bound to promote the common discipline of the whole church and therefore to urge the observance of all ecclesiastical laws. He is there to enforce the laws of the church. He, he, he can't be somebody who says, I have a problem with that law, I'm not going to enforce it. He has to enforce the laws. And number two is something that comes up in daily life in parishes. Number two, he is to exercise vigilance so
so that abuses do not creep into ecclesiastical discipline, especially regarding the ministry of the word, the celebration of the sacraments and sacramentals, the worship of God and the veneration of the saints and the administration of goods. So not only does he have to <coughs> make sure that the laws are followed in general, the laws are followed in the diocese, <coughs> he has to make sure about abuses, <coughs> and especially when they come into the liturgy, the ministry of the word. You know, there's a woman in my parish who, um, she's older as you could imagine, um, uh, because people of that age are still, are still fighting the old battles from the 70s. She, um, she, uh, she always changes pronouns when she's, when she's doing a reading, you know? So, um, so Christ can never be he. Oh, no. <laughs> so, which has got, gotten her into the funniest heresies because, you know, she's ended up saying that, that instead of saying he rose from the dead, she says God rose from the dead. No, I mean, <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead in his human body, but God didn't die. Yeah. Anyway, so abuses, and it, and it was my responsibility as pastor to correct those abuses, which I attempted to do. And she still, you know, would do her thing, you know, because she's the real pastor, she should tell you. <laughs> and, um, but ultimately, you know, um, in a case like that, I would have to answer to the bishop of the diocese for allowing an abuse like that to creep in, right? Um, and, you know, we can go on and on with all sorts of abuses in the liturgy, you know, but it's ultimately the bishop's responsibility to, uh, uh, to watch over those situations. Okay. Canon 393, um, the diocesan bishop represents his diocese in all its juridic affairs. So certainly juridic affairs in terms of canon law, but as we know, painfully, in civil law as well. Um, and then Canon 394, this is another one of those exhausting, uh, exhaustive and exhausting um, canons about fostering apostolate. You don't need to know this for an exam or anything, but uh, just to see what he, he's, he's got to do, right? He's fostered various forms of the apostolate. Um, all the works of the apostolate are coordinated under his direction. Um, he is to insist upon the duty which binds the faithful to exercise the apostle according to each one's condition and ability, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, you don't need to know that in detail, but again, he presides over all these things in his diocese. You, know? um, you don't need to know Canon 395, but it's interesting to know. You know, Just for your own information, you might want to look at it, but it won't be in a quiz or anything. Uh, bishop is not supposed to be running, or running around, he's supposed to stay in his diocese, basically. Um, Canon 396, um, this is something that, that, come, that comes up um, in, in just daily life in a, in, in a parish, in a diocese. Uh, the obligation of visitation, Canon 396. The bishop is obliged to visit the diocese annually, either in whole or in part, so that he visits the entire diocese at least every five years, either personally or if he has been legitimately impeded through the coadjutor bishop, an auxiliary vicar general, episcopal vicar, or another presbyter, uh, a bishop is permitted to choose a cleric who prefers his companions and assistants. Um, contrary to that, number two, you don't need to know, that goes back to all sorts of things that were going on in the Renaissance and so on and so forth. You know? but, um, uh, but the basic thing you need to know about Canon 396 is simply the bishop is obliged to visit his entire diocese, including every, every parish, within a period of five years. And he does it either himself or through others. 
And that's, uh, so that takes a lot of work, you know. Um, and you'll see every once in a while you'll, uh, in your parish, you'll get um, an official visit. You know, it might be from the bishop himself, it might be from, um, uh, from someone who comes in his name. Um, and then uh, 397, you don't need to know, uh, it's just everybody. Persons, Catholics, institutions, sacred things and places, they're all subject to physical visitation. Um, don't worry about Canon 398, except you might want to refer to, I'm not going to quiz you on this, but you might refer to this if uh, it's becoming a big project and it's costing you a lot of money and manpower. Uh, he is, he is to take care that he does not burden or impose a hardship on anyone through unnecessary expenses. Because you can imagine there are all sorts of things in the past that led up to that, that statement, right? Uh, quinquennial report, um, just to be aware of this, um, all you need to know is that this thing exists and what it is, not the details. Uh, every five years, a diocesan bishop is bound to make a report to the Supreme Pontiff in the state of the diocese. Um, that's basically all you need to know. There's a quinquennial report. You'll hear about that every once in a while when uh, they start collecting um, data from parishes and things like that. They all go into the quinquennial report. Canon <coughs> 400, I'm not gonna require this in an exam, but, but you certainly need to know this in daily life. Um, uh, during the year in which he is bound to submit a report to the Supreme Pontiff, the diocese bishop is, is to make his ad limina visit. Uh, he's going to Rome to venerate the tombs of the Blessed Apostle Peter and Paul and present himself to the Roman Pontiff. And, um, and you, I'm sure you've, you've been aware of this happening when uh, typically all the bishops of a particular region will go together. And then um, so they've all submitted their quinquennial reports and they meet with the Holy Father. Um, it's all very edifying, but sometimes they have some serious business that they have to discuss. Father? Yeah. They have, when they have to go to Rome, do they? Do they pay pay for the airfare out of their own pocket? No, it's it's a it's that's a business expense. Okay. Yeah. So that's a problem. They can do it through others if they have to. Yeah. Or they could be impeded. Somebody could be in a you know communist country somewhere and can't can't get out. You know? But um, yeah, all these all these expenses are re, re, um, required for a diocese. You know, expense of running a seminary. You know, all that. Um, Retirement from office, this, this has just come up, of course, in, uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, a diocesan bishop who has completed the seven, 75th year of age is requested, requested to present his resignation from office as Supreme Pontiff, who will make provision after he has examined all the circumstances. A diocesan bishop who has become less able to fulfill his office because of ill health or some other grave cause is earnestly requested to present his resignation from office. We won't get into this in any detail, but just know he didn't, he's not kicked out. He's requested submit, to submit his resignation. It's all very civilized. Right? Um, when he's reached age 75, or when there's some grave cause, ill health or whatever, then he's, he's uh, earnestly requested to pre present his resignation from office. He's requested to su submit his resignation. I don't know what happens if he doesn't do that. Um, uh, just uh, for your own information, uh, because this is happening, uh, will be happening in Brooklyn. Uh, it happened in New York uh, when, when Cardinal Dolan came. Canon 402, a bishop whose resignation from office has been accepted retains the title of emeritus of his diocese. 
and can retain a place of residence in that diocese if we so desire, et cetera. But just so you know that, you don't need to know that for exam, just um, to be aware that that's, that happens and will, will be happening in, uh, in Brooklyn. All right, coadjutor and auxiliary bishops. Um, the general, uh, the general notion. You need to know Canon, uh, Canon four hundred three. You need to know four hundred three. Uh, when the pastoral needs of the diocese suggested, one or more auxiliary bishops would be appointed at the request of the diocesan bishop. An auxiliary bishop does not possess the right of succession. Okay, that's something from the old code. Right. In more serious circumstances, even of a personal nature, an auxiliary bishop provided with special faculties can be given to a diocesan bishop. If it appears more opportune to the Holy See, it can appoint an ex officio, a coadjutor bishop who also has special faculties. A coadjutor bishop possesses the right of succession. Um, you really need to know Canon 403, because this comes up. Um, auxiliary bishops uh, are, it's just what it says. Auxiliary means helping, right? Um, and one or more can be appointed when the pastoral needs of the diocese suggest it. That's all it says about auxiliary bishops in general. You can have this uh, auxiliary bishop number two who has special faculties. So uh, the auxiliary, auxiliary bishop can come in who is in charge of, um, uh, I don't know, maybe priest cases, you know, something like that, accusations against clerics or something. You might have special faculties just to do one particular thing. Then you can have a coadjutor bishop Coadjutor bishop has special faculties. He's not just uh, in, a, in an auxiliary bishop. He has special faculties. Uh, there are certain things that he can do that a normal auxiliary bishop cannot do. And he's the successor. He's going to be the successor of the uh, uh, bishop of the diocese. So um, in Los Angeles, the current Archbishop of Los Angeles, uh, Gomez, uh, Archbishop Gomez in, in Los Angeles, he was first appointed an auxiliary bishop because there were a lot of problems going on in the, in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles with Cardinal Mahoney, you know, uh, quite frankly, everybody knew that. They had to appoint a coadjutor bishop who had to take charge of things. And I happened to know a priest who was his theological advisor, and he said it was a living hell because Cardinal Mahoney made life very difficult for him, fought him at every stage, and there were divisions among the clergy who was on the side with which bishop and so on told it was terrible. You know, but, um, but that happens, that can happen when there's a problem with the bishop of the diocese. They designate the successor, they, and then they get him ready. And you hope the bishop of the diocese cooperates, but sometimes it doesn't. When you say they designate a successor, who is the, is that the? The coadjutor bishop. He's an auxiliary bishop, was appointed by the Holy See. Okay, so it kind of stems from the Holy See, that, that was my question. You asked oh yeah, All, any bishop is appointed by the Holy See. An uh, ordinary plain vanilla auxiliary bishop is appointed by the Holy See. Um, so all of them are. But a, a, a coadjutor bishop is an auxiliary bishop who is appointed with special faculties and who is going to take over the diocese. Okay. Um, don't worry about Canon 404. Um, we'll skip all these now. Uh, canon 404, Canon 405. Um, uh, normally, I'll just point this out, you don't, you don't need to know this for a, a quiz or anything, but the diocesan bishop is to appoint a coadjutor bishop, and the auxiliary bishop mentioned canon 403, number two, as vicar general. So if he happens to have those guys in his diocese, one of them has to be uh, appointed the vicar general. Right? Um, 
but don't worry about that. Um, and um, Canon 407, you don't need to know that, but it just it just says that the the um, uh, the the bishop is to consult these guys, the coadjutor bishop, auxiliary bishop, whoever it might be. Right? Um, uh, don't worry about 408. It's just you know you know this goes on. They 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 help out the bishop. They perform uh, um, ceremonies for him. Typically, they'll do confirmations and other things as well. Right? Um, um, Canon 409, don't worry about. Uh, don't worry about Canon 410 or 411. Um, yeah, okay. Um, we're not going to get into the impeded seat. Oh, let's, let's talk about this after the, the break. All right, so let's get together by 8.30 at the latest, okay? <coughs> Okay, we can um, we begin by skipping <laughs> things like that. So we skip uh, the impeded C and the vacant vacant C, not the vacancy, but the vacant C. Um, all of these things come up. I you know I would uh, suggest you read these things at, at some point because especially the vacant C because that that can happen. You know, if God forbid, God forbid it happens once in a while, a bishop dies in office or something like that. Um, so just for your own information to know what happens. So uh, that's all in this, this section, but we're going to skip this section. Uh, 412 through 430, you can skip that, that whole thing. Uh, the whole notion of the diocesan administrator was appointed when the C is vacant. Um, uh, we're just going to skip that. Okay, groupings of particular churches, beginning with uh, Canon 431. Um, 431. All right, we're now up to Canon 431. We skipped everything there from where we just were. So uh, this is on page 568 in the Green Book. Um, the notion of an ecclesiastical province uh, you may, has anybody not heard of that term, ecclesiastical province? You've not, you, you have not heard of the term. Okay, so let, let's just read this quickly. To promote the common pastoral action of different neighboring dioceses according to the circumstances of persons and places, and to foster more suitably the relations of the diocese and bishops among themselves, neighboring particular churches are to be brought together into ecclesiastical provinces limited to a certain um, uh, territory. Uh, okay, and that's basically all, all you need to know is Canon 431 number number one. Uh, so we are in the province of New York, right? Um, which includes the the whole state of New York. So every every um, diocese in the state of New York belongs to the province of New York. And so um, when 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 I was uh, my my second judicial vicar job, when I was uh, judicial vicar for the appeals court. 
for for the it was for the state of New York, but more properly, it was for the the province of New York. So so all the dioceses of New York appealed their uh, their marriage cases to one appeals court for the province of New York. So we're in the province of New York. Um, so just know that basic, um, that, that basic understanding. Canon 431 number one. Um, 430, 432, uh, just, it, it should be obvious, this is an easy uh, question for a quiz perhaps, or a, a midterm or whatever. The provincial council and the metropolitan possess authority in an ecclesiastical province according to norm of law. An ecclesiastical province possesses uh, juridic personality by the law itself. So an ecclesiastical province is a juridic person. Um, uh, Canon 433, don't worry about that. Um, you can combine provinces into, um, into regions. The, um, but when you're talking about a province, the next thing you talk about is the metropolitan. Um, because if you have all these dioceses together and they're in one organization, who's the head of that? Each bishop is the head of his own diocese, but if you have a province, who's the head of all these bishops? The answer is the Metropolitan. So Canon 435, the Metropolitan, who is the Archbishop of his diocese, presides over an ecclesiastical province. The office of the Metropolitan is joined with an Episcopal see determined or approved by the Roman Pontiff. So the Metropolitan see for the province of New York would be? New York. The Archdiocese New York. of New York, yeah. right? So, so the, the Archbishop of New York is the Metropolitan for, um, uh, for the, the province of New York. The Metropolitan is the one who presides over an ecclesiastical province. I didn't quite well, get, yes. Somebody so we have Hartford and we have Bridgeport in Connecticut. How does that work? I'm sorry? We have, we have uh, Bridgeport and Hartford that I know in Connecticut. Do we have a province over that? Who runs that? Is that all? And Norwich as well. We have three, we have three dioceses in I Connecticut. Think, I think Hartford, is the metropolitan, I think. So the Archbishop of Hartford would oversee all three. I believe, yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, metropolitan. When I began to work on the tribunal, I didn't quite understand the notion of metropolitan. So I was a um, I was a newly minted canon lawyer. I should have known this. Uh, and I was working as a judge. Uh, eventually became a judge on the tribunal for the Archdiocese of New York, and it's called the Metropolitan Tribunal. And I thought it's called the Metropolitan Tribunal because it's on First Avenue. So it's <laughs> no, it's the tribunal belongs to the Metropolitan. Okay. Nothing like on the job training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have a Metropolitan um, Diocese, uh, Archdiocese, and then you have Suffragan Diocese. It's, it's all the other dioceses, right, of the, of the same province. So Canon 436, in the Suffragan Diocese, the Metropolitan is competent one, to exercise vigilance of the faith and ecclesiastical discipline are observed carefully, to inform the Roman Pontiff of any of abuses, if there are any, to conduct a canonical visitation for a cause previously approved by the Apostolic See if the suffragan has neglected it, to designate a diocesan administrator. Don't worry about any of those things. Um, basically, Canon 436, uh, all you need to know is that um, is 436 uh, 1, basically. Okay. The, uh, the, the Metropolitan has certain limited authority over the other dioceses. It's very limited. Okay, uh, that's all you need to know. Um, uh, 
Canon uh, can, can, uh, 436 number three emphasizes this. The Metropolitan has no other power of governance in the suffragan diocese, right? So it's just very limited. But all you need to know is Canon 436, uh, that uh, number one, number one, okay? Paragraph one. Um, Canon 437, you don't need to know for an exam, but it's just nice to know. It's, it's something that comes up all the time. The pallium. You know, the pallium, you know, what is a pallium? Does anybody know what it's it is? It's the thing that the Pope and the Archbishop wears around us. Right, has, yeah. It's got the, the three things holding right. it. Right, it's, it's made from, from lamb's wool. It's connected yep. with the Feast of St. Agnes. It, it's uh, a lot of ceremony connected with it. It simply shows the unity uh, with the um, with the Holy Father and, and the Metropolitans, right, uh, and the Archbishops. Um, but you don't need to know that, just for your information, Canon 437. Um, Canon 438 is also just, just for your information. The titles of Patriarch and Primate entail no power of governance in the Latin Church <coughs> apart from a prerogative of honor. That's basically what's going on. So who's the, um, who's the, what is the primatial see? Who would be the primate for the United States? Anybody know? The Archbishop of Baltimore. Baltimore would, uh, has pride of place among all of the uh, uh, dioceses in the United States because it's, it was the first, uh, first diocese, right? So any gathering of bishops, the Archbishop of Baltimore, he's, he's kind of the, the number one. I thought it was New York, just because New York is New York, but no. <laughs> okay. Then, um, so you, then, there, then you can have particular councils, and we're not going to get into this because um, uh, it, it's, we, we don't have time, and, and it's, you know, if it comes up, then you'll have to read up on it, but it, it's, it's not going on right now. Just, to, just for your inf basic information, Canon 439, a, place, a plenary council, uh, is one that takes place for all the particular churches in the same conference of bishops. Right? So they could have a plenary council for uh, the United States, but you know, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Likewise, provincial councils. You could have a council for the whole province, Canon 440, just for the, uh, the um, Diocese of New York. But again, that's not going to happen anytime soon, so you can skip all of these canons about these, these particular councils. Uh, so we're skipping, all right? Uh, we're skipping. Um, where do we start skipping? We, start, we skip Canon 439. Skip that whole, this whole section. Canon 439 through 446. We can skip that whole section. Okay. Ah, but now, conferences of bishops. This is something we deal with all the time, so we need to know a little bit about, about these. Um, Canon 447, so in the Green Book we're on uh, page 590. Uh, Canon 447, a conference of bishops, a permanent institution, is a group of bishops of some nation or certain territory who jointly exercise certain pastoral functions for the Christian faithful of their territory in order to promote the greater good which the church offers to humanity, especially through forms and programs of the apostolate fittingly adapted to the circumstances of time and place according to the norm of, of law. So it's, it's a group of bishops who jointly exercise pastoral functions. That's what it is, okay? Um, the bishops get together to uh, kind of to organize things, right? Um, you know, and really we don't, 
We're not going to get into this in any detail. Um, Canon 448, uh, as a general rule, the conference of bishops includes those who preside over the particular churches in the same nation. Okay, so we have that, um, the USCCB, right, would be the conference of bishops that exactly fits that, this, okay? So all you need to know is Canon 447, okay? Uh, and then you can skip to 460, I think I had it marked. So four, um, no. 447. Um, uh, I don't want to get into this in any detail, uh, but so you need to know Canon 447. Um, Canon 455, um, I'm not going to ask you this on an exam, but um, there's some question about what happens if a conference of bishops uh, issue, wants to issue uh, general decrees. So now they're making laws, right? And the, um, the, the basic idea is if they do that, it's a whole big thing and the Holy, the Holy See has to get involved. They normally do not pass laws uh, for, uh, for their territories, because the bishop is the vicar of Christ in his diocese. You know, you can't have another bishop or even a group of bishops telling him what to do, right? So that's the general understanding. Uh, the, um, the Conference of Bishops is not a group that is over the bishops, giving the bishops instructions and giving them laws. It is a group, the bishops working together. It's very important to, to, to know, because some people think that um, you know, I studied in Washington for a while, and I tell you, people in some of those committees think, you know, we just tell the bishops what to do and that's it, you know. No, the bishop is, is I don't want to say the king, but he's, he's the vicar of Christ in, in his diocese, right? You have to be very um, careful about that. There can be some, t um, some instances in which the conference of bishops would issue a decree of some kind with the permission of the Holy See, it has to be ratified by the Holy See, and so on and so forth. Otherwise, Otherwise, each bishop is free to follow or not whatever it is the Conference of Bishops is, is, uh, is, is promulgating. So Canon 455, uh, Canon 455 number four on page 600. In cases in which neither universal law nor a special mandate of the Apostolic See has granted the power mentioned in number one to the Conference of Bishops, the competence of each diocesan bishop remains intact nor is a conference or its president able to act in the name of all the bishops unless each and every bishop has given consent. So you could have all the bishops of a country in, in the bishops' conference decide something. And there's one bishop who says, no, I don't want to do that. He's not bound by that. That's very important to, to uh, understand because otherwise we become the Episcopal Church. So uh, again, the, the, the bishop is the vicar of Christ in his own diocese. So that's Canon 455, number four. That's all, that's all you really need to know. The rest of Canon 455, you don't need to know. Um, okay, and, you, and then skip the rest of this section on Conference of the Bishops. So we're skipping through 459. Okay, <clears throat> now we're getting to um, 
the internal ordering of particular churches. So we're now, now we're getting down to the diocese itself. So we started with the universal church, the Holy Father, um, um, ecumenical councils and all that, and then synod of bishops and all these kinds of things, and now dioceses, but groupings of dioceses. Now we're finally focusing on the diocese itself. Okay? Uh, so the internal ordering of particular churches. What <coughs> can enforce 60 on, on page um, 611 in the Green Book. So we begin with the diocesan synod, and those of you in, in, uh, um, in Bridgeport would be uh, very aware of this, right? You just had one. Bishop Caggiano doesn't believe in letting grass grow, grow under his feet. I couldn't believe it. He shows up in Bridgeport the next day, he's having a synod of all things, you know? Um, Cardinal O'Connor did that in New York, you know? Uh, he was another go-getter like Bishop Caggiano. He was always doing things, you know? So, we had a synod in New York uh, soon after he came. Canon 460, a diocesan synod is a group of selected priests and other members of the Christian faithful of a particular church who offer assistance to the diocesan bishop for the good of the whole diocesan community according to the norm of the following canon. So again, they offer assistance to the diocesan bishop. The diocesan bishop is the vicar of Christ in his diocese. So all these bodies offer him assistance. They don't tell him to do anything, they offer him assistance, right? Um, so Canon 461, a diocesan bishop is to be celebrated um, when circumstances suggested in the judgment of the diocesan bishop after he has heard the presbyteral council. Um, yeah, so ba basically you don't need to know 461. You need to know, you need to know what Canon 460 uh, says, Canon 460. Um, Canon 462, uh, um, you don't need to know Canon 462 or 463. You might be interested in it, you know, beca because of what goes on in the diocese. It, 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 it explains very carefully who's allowed, uh, who, who is to be included in the uh, diocesan sin, but we're not gonna, I'm not gonna require that you know that. Um, uh, Canon 464, you can skip. Um, Canon 465, you can skip. Canon 466, you need to know. <coughs> Canon 466 on page 621. Uh, the only <coughs> legislator in a diocesan synod is the diocesan bishop. The diocesan synod does not make laws, okay? Uh, the only legislator in a diocesan synod is the diocesan bishop. The other members of the synod possess only a consultative vote. <coughs> Very important, only a consultative vote. Only he signs the synodal declarations and decrees which can be published by his authority Thank you. alone. Okay, get it? So the diocesan bishop possesses only a consultative vote. They make recommendations, they're there they're for the bishop to consult, that's all. They, they do not pass legislation. Okay, um, okay so Canon 466 you need to know. So we're skipping now, you can skip 467 and 468. Now the diocesan curia, uh, canon 469, this would be similar to the curia in Rome, right? um, <clears throat> but for a diocese. Canon 469, uh, you, need to know, you need to know canon 469. The diocesan curia consists of those institutions and persons which assist the bishop in the governance of the whole diocese, especially in guiding pastoral action and caring for the administration of the diocese and in exercising judicial power. 
So it's basically all the offices of, of the, uh, and the, and the, and the persons who are there assisting the bishop. That's the diocesan curia, similar to the, the, the Roman curia, right? Um, okay, so you can skip 470, um, you can skip 471. Uh, can uh, uh, can skip 472, but 473, um, you need to know that to a certain extent, I'll explain. Can 473, a diocesan bishop must take care that all the affairs which belong to the administration of the whole diocese are duly coordinated and are ordered to attain more suitably the good of the portion of people God entrusted to him. So he's got to coordinate everything. A lot of offices, a lot of people running around, so he's got to coordinate all of this. Um, Number two, it is for the diocesan bishop himself to coordinate the pastoral action of the vicars general or episcopal vicars. Where it is expedient, and this goes on uh, in I think all of our diocese, I'm not sure about Bridgeport, I think Bridgeport also, where it is expedient, a moderator of the curia can be appointed. This is what I wanted to get to, a moderator of the curia, know that term. Moderator of the curia can be appointed who must be a priest, and who under the authority of the bishop is to coordinate those things which pertain to the treatment of administrative affairs and to take care that the other members of the curia properly fulfill the office entrusted to them. Uh, unless in the judgment of the bishop, local cir circumstances suggest otherwise, the vicar general, or if there are several, one of the vicar generals will be appointed moderator of the curia. Okay, um, so, and when the, uh, don't worry about the Episcopal council, but uh, just be aware of that, of that um, that position of um, moderator of the curia, okay? The person who coordinates all the offices of the bishop, the, all the offices that assist the bishop. The moderator of the curia, and he's usually the vicar general, but he doesn't have to be. Okay. From Senior Lamort, uh, who's the vicar general in the Archdiocese of New York, got a kick out of the fact that he was uh, appointed the moderator of the curia, so he, he lists his title as uh, as um, uh, Vicar General and Moderator of the Curia. Moderator of the Curia is, is nothing compared to Vicar General, but he, he kind of likes that title. So, um, uh, okay, you can skip for, um, 474. And we get now, we get now to uh, Vicar General and Episcopal Vicars. Um, so Canon 475, in each diocese, the diocesan bishop must appoint a vicar general. You need to know this canon. Um, he, the, the, vicar, the diocesan bishop must appoint a vicar general who is provided with ordinary power, right? We discussed that. He has ordinary power. In virtue of his office, he has ordinary power according to the norm of the following canons and who is to assist the diocesan bishop in the governance of the whole diocese. All right, we'll see in a minute. The difference between him and, a, and an Episcopal vicar is Episcopal vicar assists in the governance of a portion of the diocese. The um, vicar general assists the bishop in the governance of the whole diocese. Normally, um, number two, you have one vicar general. Uh, sometimes there's a reason to appoint more than one. In, the, in, in New York, we've sometimes had two vicars general. Um, when the, the whole sex abuse thing started, um, around that time, uh, there are a lot of personnel problems going on. Um, Cardinal O'Connor. Was it O'Connor? Yeah. Who it was? Egan? He, he appointed two vicars general? 
I remember we had two vicar general at one point. It might have been before the, uh, the sex abuse thing started, but, but it was because of uh, problems that were, um, I guess, brewing with, with priests, because the second vicar general was basically just in charge of problems with priests. So uh, that's the vicar general, all right? He's, uh, he's provided, he has ordinary power, uh, and he assists the, the bishop in the governance of the whole diocese. So the Episcopal vicar is similar, and a 476 you need to know as well. Whenever the correct governance of a diocese requires it, the diocesan bishop can also, also appoint one or more Episcopal vicars, namely those <coughs> in a specific part of the diocese or in a certain type of affairs, or over the faithful of a specific right or, or over certain groups of persons <coughs> possess the same ordinary power, again, ordinary power belonging <coughs> to the group of his office, which a vicar general has by universal law, according to the Roman following canon. So typically, we've already discussed this. Uh, an Episcopal vicar um, e um, exercises um, ordinary vicarious power, right? for a part of the diocese, as opposed to the vicar general who exercises ordinary vicarious power for the whole diocese. So a vicar, uh, an Episcopal vicar exercises that power for a part of the diocese. So you would have an Episcopal vicar for a, a geographical part of the diocese, right? Which we, we've already discussed, right? That's typically what we have, um, uh, you know, the vicar for wherever it is, you know, Lower Westchester, whatever. Um, uh, you could have a vicar who, uh, you could have a vicar for vocations, you know, you could have a vicar for religious. You could have a vicar for all sorts of things, you know. Um, and you do in, in, in many dioceses. But the, norm, the normal way we encounter these vicars is uh, in, in different geographical parts of the diocese. But they have ordinary vicarious power, like the vicar general, but limited to part of the diocese. Now, are they necessarily bishops? No. No. Now, look, look at vicar, the vicar general himself in the Archdiocese of New York is not a bishop. But I just got, oh yeah, yeah, I apologize. Yeah, it's just a. But they are priests. Oh, you have to be a priest. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. um, so, um, alright, uh, we won't get, um, skip 477. You can skip that. So you need to know um, 470. Five and 476, you do not need to know 477. Um, 478, you don't need to know, but I'm just going to read it to you because the question just came up, kind of. Um, a vicar general and an Episcopal vicar are to be priests, okay? Not less than 30 years old. Doctors are licensed in canon law or theology or, or at least truly expert in these disciplines. That's kind of more honorable than breach, unfortunately. Um, and recommended by sound doctrine, integrity, prudence, and experience in handling matters. Um, okay, that's what I, I just wanted to point that out to you. Uh, you don't need to know that for a quiz, right? However, 470, 479, you do need to know. 479 is important. By virtue of office, the Vicar General has the executive power over the whole diocese, which belongs to the diocesan bishop by law, namely the power to place all administrative acts, except those, however, which the bishop has reserved to himself or which require a special mandate of the bishop by law. So he has executive power over the whole diocese. That's important to know. All right, we've already discussed that. The vicar general has executive power over the whole diocese. 
Um, and then number two, by the law itself, an Episcopal vicar has the same power, the same executive power, ordinary executive power, uh, but only over the specific part of the territory or the type of affairs of the faith of a specific right or group for which he was appointed, uh, except those cases which the bishop has reserved to himself and so forth. So, um, uh, so they're, they're pretty much the same. Each of them has executive power, uh, but the difference is the scope. So the vicar general has executive power over the whole diocese, fiscal vicar over the part of the diocese entrusted to him. Right? Um, don't worry about number three. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, don't worry about uh, canon 480. Uh, don't worry about canon 481. Now we're getting to these uh, these other uh, offices that you, you I'm sure you've heard of already, but just uh, so you, you understand what they are: um, chancellor, vice chancellor, and notaries. Chancellor is a notary, right? So we're talking about notaries here. Um, canon 482. You need to know Canon 482. What is the chancellor? You need to know that. In every curia, a chancellor is to be appointed whose principal function unless particular law establishes otherwise, is to take care that acts of the curia are gathered, arranged, and safeguarded in the archive of the curia. If it seems necessary, the chancellor can be given an assistant whose title is to be vice-chancellor. By reason of being chancellor and vice-chancellor, they are notaries and secretaries of the curia. That's what they are. They're notaries and secretaries of the curia. Now, you've probably all heard of the chancellor, and chances are in your diocese, the chancellor is, is considered to be a, a grand poobah of some kind, you know. Recently, that changed in the Archdiocese of New York um, when Cardinal Dolan appointed a layman as chancellor, right? But before that, historically, in the Archdiocese of New York, the, the chancellor had enormous power, and the chancellor was acting like a vicar general uh, in the Archdiocese of New York and in many other dioceses in, in the United States. So um, that's something that you see um, uh, kind of frequently, and I don't know why this happened in the United States, but chancellors became um, almost rivals to vicars general, you know. Um, Monsignor Greg Mustatrolo, when he was um, chancellor, he, he was the one who was wielding all the power, even though he wasn't vicar general, you know. So um, it's, um, anyway, it's a complicated story, but just so you're aware of that. But a chancellor is just, just, it's important, but he is a notary. He notarizes all of the official documents of the curia, right? Uh, he keeps the archives, all that kind of thing. He puts his seal on things. Um, that's what a chancellor is. But of course, he ends up doing a lot of other things as well in a lot of American dioceses, including all of ours, right? He um, can also have a vice chancellor, you know? Um, in the um, Archdiocese of New York, uh, there's a vice chancellor, uh, Father Doug Mathers, uh, who's been in that office forever. Um, and he, um, but he was acting like, uh, for, he's always acted like uh, a special uh, assistant to the vicar general because he was really exercising, uh, helping the vicar, the work of the vicar general, you know, that kind of thing. He, um, he was, uh, he would grant dispensations and things like that, you know which is stuff that properly belongs to the Vicar General, not to the Chancellor. <coughs> but, um, so these offices can get kind of mixed up, but in and of itself, the Chancellor is a, is a notary and keeps the archives. Um, 
And uh, let's see, canon 483, uh, you need to know also, um, besides the chancellor, other notaries can be appointed whose writing or signature establishes authenticity for any acts, for judicial acts only, for acts of a certain case or affair only. The chancellor and notary, excuse me, the notaries must be of unimpaired reputation above all and above all suspicion. In cases, no, don't worry about this, uh, excuse me. But um, just to note, uh, know that there are ecclesiastical notaries. Um, these are different from um, notaries in civil law, right? So, uh, and a tribunal, uh, they're, they're, the notaries have very important uh, roles to play. Um, in the, uh, the proceedings of the, of the court, it's a court, so they, uh, they're, they're court notaries, basically, in the tribunal. Uh, when, I, when I became, when I came here to teach and became judicial vicar for the appeals court, I needed notaries. So, um, I, so I appointed Mary Brogley, um, and uh, I forget who else I appointed. Um, anyway, but um, we, uh, they, they became, um, they, they became uh, notaries. I had one of them sign this, in fact. Who was it? Oh, Danielle. Yeah, Danielle, that's right. Danielle was made a notary, you know? Uh, and, and every week we were carting uh, all these uh, mountains of, of documents for her to, to sign. Finally, she said, look, I can't do this anymore. I have too much work to do here, you know? So, um, but, so they're ecclesiastical notaries is my point, okay? Um, it, so you need to know uh, four, 483. Um, yeah, we did 483, basically 483 number one. Uh, 484, just in general, is the duty of notaries to draw up the acts and instruments regarding decrees, dispositions, obligations, etc., as record faithfully what is taking place in sign of invitation, um, and so forth. So you don't need to know Canon 484, you know, it's a notary. Okay. Um, don't worry about Canon 485. Canon 486 uh, is important to know. Um, the diocesan archives, uh, and also parish, uh, well, diocesan archives. Uh, Canon 486, all documents which regard the diocese or parishes must be protected with the greatest care. In every curia, there is to be erected in a safe place a diocesan archive or record, record storage area in which instruments of written documents which pertain to the spiritual and temporal affairs of the diocese are to be safeguarded after being properly filed and diligently secured, an inventory or catalog of the documents which are contained in the archives to be kept with a brief synopsis of each written document. So um, there, there are certain um, elements of the archive for the Archdiocese of New York that, that you would find at 1011 First Avenue, right? They have some places there for uh, archival material. But most of the archive, do you know where most of the archive for the Archdiocese of New York is? Downstairs in the basement here. Yeah, there's a vast area down there, and that's that's where the ar archives for the archives, the archive for the archives of New York is, where most things end up going. <coughs> Everyone said, "Well, I didn't know about. Well, I knew it was here, but I didn't know physically where it was because it wasn't here." But um, every once in a while, we would have a, a, an older case that we had gotten rid of. We'd sent up here, you know, because um, you could only keep cases for about a year or so after we were finished, and we'd have to send to the seminary to get these. Um, uh, these old cases and so forth. So that, that's where the archive is. Um, okay. uh, all right. So you need to know Canon 46 just uh, generally. 
Uh, Ken, 47 enough to worry about that. Uh, it just stands to reason you got to protect the archives, so forth. Ken, 489 is uh, something uh, to be aware of, um, and I'm not sure how it works out in real life, to tell you the truth, in, in the archdiocese anyway. In the diocesan curia, there's also to be a secret archive. Or at least in the common archive, there's to be a safer cabinet completely closed and locked, which cannot be removed. In it, documents to be kept secret or to be protected most securely. Each year, documents of criminal cases and matters of morals in which the accused parties have died or 10 years have elapsed uh, are to be destroyed. A brief summary of what occurred along the text of the criminal sentence to be retained. So uh, again, don't worry about this, but I just want you to be uh, aware of the fact that there is this thing called a secret archive. Uh, where you keep th things that are to be kept secret. And typically it would be, you know, priest cases and things like that, you know. Um, I don't know if we actually have that in New York, South New York. It's a secret. It. Pardon? It's a secret. Yeah, it's, it's, it's well kept secret. I hear every once in a while about uh, priests having two files. You know, there's the regular file and then there's, like, parts that are really confidential. The dark file. So, pardon? The dark, dark file. Dark file. <laughs> so, so, I don't know, but there's supposed to be a secret archive. Just so you're aware of it. So you can skip Canon 490. Canon 491 also, uh, just to be aware of this, a diocesan bishop is to take care that the acts and documents of the archives of cathedral, collegiate, parochial, and other churches in this territory are also diligent, preserved, and inventories of catalogs made duplicate and so forth. That's basically down, downstairs also. But we have the historical archives, you know, that building was erected uh, past the library. Um, I'm not exactly sure what's kept there, but just to be aware that it's an historical ar archive as well, you do not need to know this for an exam. But now something you need to know for an exam, and unfortunately in real life too often, the finance council and the finance officer. Canon 492. Every diocese, a finance council is to be established over which the diocesan bishop himself or his delegate presides and will consist of at least three members of the Christian faith who are truly expert in financial affairs and civil law, outstanding integrity, appointed by the bishop. Uh, members of the finance council are to be appointed for five years, but at the end, they can appoint for another five years. Uh, you can't have close relatives of the bishop for obvious reasons. Just to be aware, you don't need to know the details of this, but just be aware that there is something called a, a finance council that must exist in every diocese. Um, and the, the bishop himself presides over it, uh, or his delegate presides over it, okay? Um, and the function of the finance council, uh, it prepares a report, Canon 493, prepares um, a budget uh, for, for the whole diocese. And then it examines things at the end of the year in account of the revenues and expenses. It prepares a budget and examines the um, account of the revenues and expenses at the end of the year. Okay. Then Canon 494, very important. This is an individual you're going to be dealing with. Um, Canon 494, you just need to know number one. Canon 494, if you know 494, number one, in every diocese, after having heard the College of Consultors, the Finance Council, and the Finance Council, the bishop is to appoint a finance officer who is truly expert in financial affairs and absolutely distinguished for honesty. Uh, and, and you have to be careful because uh, in a diocese, the finance officer can, be, can end up being the bishop. I mean, he, he can act in a way in which he rivals the bishop. 
you know, um, because he wields enormous power. Um, he's not supposed to do that, but he ends up doing that. You know, so uh, in in uh, the Archdiocese of New York, uh, you, some of you may have heard of Bill Whiston, uh, who's the chief finance officer for the Archdiocese. He's been trying to retire for quite some time, and I haven't found anybody to replace him yet. But he um, he basically calls the shots about a lot of things, you know, and, and this creates problems, I think, because he ends up making pastoral decisions, you know. Um, uh, you know, but, uh, well, I won't get into it in any detail, but um, um, the finance officer has great responsibility, and, uh, and, and, he, and he has a lot of power. Um, now it says, uh, all you need to know is Canon 494 number one. That's all you need to know. But I, point, I pull your attention to number three. It is for the finance officer to administer the goods of the diocese under the authority of the bishop. So he's under the authority of the bishop in accord with the budget determined by the finance council and from the income of the diocese to meet expenses which the bishop or others designated by him as legitimately authorized. Um, so it's up to him to make sure that the money is spent as, as it has been determined and it's spent wisely. Good. Would he be involved when they do mergings of parishes? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I was in a meeting once with Bill Whiston, you know, and several other people about a parish. Um, and there was a discussion the parish might close, you know. And he was quiet during the whole meeting. At one point, he simply said, that parish is not going to close. And that was the end of the matter. <laughs> you know? <Okay>. So, yeah. <laughs> Which came as good news to everybody involved, but uh, you just said no, it's not going to close. Especially for the parishioners. Pardon? Especially for the parishioners, not parish. Right. If the general was there, all these other people were there, he said, no, it's not going to close. Okay. okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, he didn't see it. So um, then we get to the, uh, the Presbyteral Council, um, Canon 495. Uh, you need to know this. Um, <clears throat> Canon 495, number one, uh, just need to know number one. In each diocese, a presbyteral council is to be established. That is a group of priests which representing the presbyterate is to be like a senate of the bishop and which assists the bishop in the governance of the diocese according to the norm of law to promote as much as possible the pastoral good of the portion of the people of God entrusted to them. So uh, it assists the bishop. Don't let that term senate of the bishop fool you. It assists the bishop. It, it's not like the Senate of the United States passing laws. It, it, there, it, it's there to assist the bishop. Uh, so you need to know Canon 495, number one. Um, then uh, you can skip uh, all the following canons um, until we get to. So skip all the other the, the, the succeeding canons. The next canon you need to know is Canon 500. Um, canon 500 says it is for the diocesan bishop to convoke the presbyteral council, preside over it, etc., etc. And what I want you to, to be aware of in Canon 500 uh, is, is number two. That's the important one. Canon 500 number two, if you be aware of that. Um, the presbyteral council possesses only a consultative vote. Okay, the presbyteral council does not legislate. The Presbyteral Council possesses only a consultative vote. Okay, just please be aware of that. Right? That's very, very important. They're not a rival to the bishop. They don't tell the bishop what to do. Uh, they're there to help the bishop. The bishop consults them. 
They give, them, they give him their advice, but they do not have, uh, they do not have a, um, a legislative role. They do not have a legislative vote. They have a consultative vote only. The diocesan bishop is to hear it in affairs of greater importance, but needs its consent only in cases expressly defined by law. Once in a while, there's something that needs the consent of the Presbyterian Council. We don't have to worry about that uh, because it rarely comes up. Uh, but they, they're there to, uh, for the bishop to consult. They have a consultative vote. Um, the, number three, the Presbyterian Council is not able to act without the diocesan bishop. Okay, so they can't act without him. Canon 501 is very important. Um, can skip Canon 501. Canon 502, number one, is all you need to know. Canon 502, number one. You need to know what the College of Consultants is. From among the members of the Presbyteral Council, and in a number not less than six nor more than 12, the diocesan bishop freely appoints some priests who are to constitute for five years a College of Consultants to which belongs the functions determined by law. Uh, when five years elapse, however, it continues to exercise its proper functions until a new college uh, is established. Right? Um, and um, basically, um, just to be aware of Canon 502 number one, so it's a group taken from within the Presbyteral Council um, that is, it's called the College of Consultants. And uh, what do they do? Um, there's, uh, there's a list of things that they do uh, in our Green Book. I, I don't require that you know that. Um, they, um, <clears throat> they, they, are, they help out a lot when, when, the, um, when the, 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 the see of the diocese is vacant. Uh, they help out with certain things. Um, uh, they, they elect, for instance, a diocesan administrator uh, who's uh, the interim he runs things in the interim before a new bishop is appointed. Right? They do things like that. So you don't need to know, I'm not going to require you to know what they do, just know that they exist. And they have a role, a very limited role to play in, in the governance of the diocese. They're taken out of the priest council. Okay, um, okay chapters of canons, we'll skip that. We don't have those in the United States. Um, then we have a few minutes. Uh, the pastoral council. Um, Canon 511, so we're on page 668, you need to know this. Um, in every diocese, and to the extent that pastoral circumstances suggest that a pastoral council is to be constituted, which under the authority of the bishop investigates, considers, and proposes practical conclusions about those things which pertain to pastoral works in the diocese. Um, and in Canon 512, um, number one, a pastoral council consists of members of the Christian faithful who are in full communion with the Catholic Church, clerics, members of the Institutes of Consecrated Life, and especially with laity, who are designated in a manner determined by the diocesan bishop. Um, that, that's all you really need to know. They, they, um, they, they help the, the, the bishop uh, in certain, uh, in, in, with certain pastoral matters. Uh, Canon 514, actually, Canon 514, you definitely need to know. Uh, and again, like these other councils, a pastoral council possesses only a consultative vote. It belongs to the diocesan bishop alone to convoke it, uh, to preside over it, um, and to be convoked at least once a year. And I think in, the United, in, in New York, it's only convoked once or twice a year. Right? 
So it's a representative group of the faithful from all different areas and, and different um, uh, states, uh, clerics, laity, religious, and so forth. Um, and they're there to assist the bishop uh, in pastoral matters. But remember, they possess only a consultative vote. They do not have, they cannot pass legislation. They only possess a consultative vote, okay? So next week, uh, we will get to, um, uh, to pastors, parishes and pastors and so forth. That, that we can do pretty quickly because that is something that's very familiar to me. Uh, and then we're gonna get on um, well, we have a few things to do. We'll get on to the, um, to the sacraments, and to, especially to marriage. So um, I'm thinking the week after next, we'll try to have this uh, um, so-called midterm. It's a test, you know. Um, what I'm thinking about doing, um, we'll see how it goes. I'm thinking about uh, the midterm will be uh, books uh, one and two. Um, and it'll be one hour long. And, I'm not sure how I'll do it. Um, but um, yeah, so it'll cover all that material. And then the final, I'm thinking the final um, might be a take home, uh, in which I'll give you one, uh, just one marriage case. But it'll be a, <laughs> it'll be a whopper. You know, it requires several pages to answer. Oh, um, God. You know, they need to bring everything, everything together. And it'll be from real life, you know. Um, the first time I did this, um, I think I gave it to some seminarians once. I, what I, uh, I simply took a case that I knew. I, I just repeated the case. I changed the names. You know, it was uh, and it was very, very complicated because people's lives are complicated. You know, people are married two or three times. They're married in the church, outside of the church. Do you need to know it or not? What do you, you know, um, who has jurisdiction over what? Who, you know, all, all these kinds of things. So um, that can be a very useful exercise. Uh, but we'll see. I'm not sure if I'm going to do that. But anyway, so not next week, but the following week we'll have that. We'll have the And Father, are they just going to be like one-word questions or something, or definitions, or is it going to be like an essay? You know, I'm not sure how to I'll let you know next week. Um, I might have. You know, there'll definitely be an objective part of it. We have to give just. Short answers, you know. Um, I might have a, a brief scenario that you have to address, but I'm 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 leaning more towards having just uh, just uh, straightforward answers. So, um, um, do, uh, you know, do, does the vicar general uh, have legislative power? You know, uh, if not, what kind of power does he have? It would be a very short answer, something like that. Okay. I'll look at it next week. Yeah. Thank you. Good night, guys.